Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. See you on the other side, episode 244, we're talking about the most famous cathedral in the world, and that's the cathedral uh, Notre-Dame-de-Paris, uh, which, yes. which in English means Our Lady of Paris. Uh, right. So that, that's why there's so many other... Uh, town, oh, so many other churches named Notre Dame because it means Our Lady of. So you have like right. Notre Dame. You could, we could have Notre Dame uh, de Milwaukee and it'd be like <laughs> you, Allison, Our Lady of Milwaukee. I know. That's me. You, you got it. We're joined today by my sister, Allison Jorlin, uh, from Milwaukee Ghosts. Uh, Wendy is currently uh, drumming away in California this week, um, and she's at a drum camp. Hopefully, hear all about that. So today, we got to talk about the big fire that happened on April 15th. It was all over the news and all over social media, um, and that's the fire of Notre Dame in Paris. Yeah, I, I mean, it was just such a huge shock. Um, Mike, didn't you go there about 10 years ago? Yes, of course. I, I visited Notre Dame, and we'll have pictures in the show notes. Um, I went through and, and went saw the beautiful rose windows and some of the relics, and uh, I took lots of pictures of gargoyles. Yes, they, they have some of the best, or they did anyway, have some of the best gargoyles uh they are made of stone so i'm hoping they're okay but their fate is unknown whereas some of the other treasures have been saved thankfully but it was just devastating to see that especially since i haven't been there yet uh you know you have but yeah i've never never been in france well the i mean notre dame is beautiful it's huge it's gorgeous it, it really is something else um but the thing is you know i think why people were so affected by it is, is number one I mean, Paris, I think, is the most popular city in the world to visit. You know, so I think, you know, I think, you know, tens of millions of people visit Paris every year. And one of the things you visit when you're there uh, is you're going to see the uh, cathedral at Notre Dame. And, you know, it really is a big deal now. It's, you know, it's on especially Catholic bucket lists. You know, they want to see the most famous church in the world besides the Vatican. Right. Um, that's going to be there. And uh, so, you know, but the thing is, it wasn't always this exciting. You know, it wasn't always a big tourist spot and things like that. When you go back, it was uh, the cathedrals originally built in 1160 um, was when they first started putting it up. And then it was just going to be the, you know, the church in Paris, you know, the cathedral. It was just an average style Gothic cathedral. (laughs) Your average, Um, just your average Gothic cathedral. (laughs) Well, it did take like a... It took like 120 years to build. So, you know, that is crazy that it, it took so, you know, so long to build. And it's one of many beautiful churches in France in the Middle Ages. And it really, uh, you know, e- even during um, the, the French Revolution, like the, you know, the, the revolutionaries, whatever, the... Um, Robespierre and the Reign of Terror. They take over the cathedral. They get rid of the Catholic Church. 
Wow. Uh, the cathedral ends up becoming like the uh, the main temple to their, uh, they had something called the Cult of Reason. And uh, it wasn't, you think the Cult of Reason is going to be um, Richard Dawkins' religion, right? Because it, right, it's, yeah. it's an atheist, it's an atheist anti-clerical cult solidified into official government policy in 1792 of the First French Republic. So after mm-hmm. they chopped off uh, Louis XVI's head, and they killed his wife, Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake. Chop. Um, <laughs> then what happens is you have the, the cult of reason. And it's because, you know, the, the Catholic Church, uh, while it does many wonderful things for people around the world and charities and, and stuff like that, also can be somewhat corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, when I was talking today with people about the relics, so I was doing uh, research on um, th- all the treasures that were inside of Notre Dame, you know, there was a lot of animosity there that, that this is fakery just to bring people into the churches, that, you know, these relics, you know, they, they don't really um, have uh, any history behind them or, you know, every pro- any provenance uh, to support, um, you know, what they're supposed to be. Like somebody said to me, if, if uh, you know, you put all the pieces of the true cross together, you'd have a forest. <laughs> <laughs> right. And for you guys who are wondering what the true cross is, um, you know, the true cross is supposed to be, it's supposed to be wood from the actual cross that, the, you know, that Jesus was crucified on. Yeah, and we're coming up right on Easter, so it it's right on time. But um, when you were when you were in Paris, you took the Mysteries of Paris ghost tour there, and you were telling me, I, I recall, that Parisians, or at least the guide, told you that Parisians don't really believe in ghosts. Is that right? Yeah, that was one of the things. Actually, so the guide is a real interesting character. Um, I follow him on Instagram still. Met him like ten years, you know, ten years ago, and then we had a great time. We really hit it off. His name was Father Sebastian with two A's. Still around. He's still, you know, still around, and he's a fang, like a professional fang maker. <laughs> That's a job. You could be a fang maker, and he makes beautiful <laughs> fangs for people who want to look like vampires. And this stuff's really great. He's all his Instagram is awesome because it's always he makes beautiful fangs for beautiful women. <laughs> it is. It's like hot <laughs> chicks with fangs. That's what you see on his Instagram anyway. Right. I, you know, um, it, it really is funny because, you know, it, that's your career. It's like, what do you do? I make fangs for hot chicks. All right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I didn't know that was if, if my if my counselor in high school told me that making fangs for hot chicks was a <laughs> was a job possibility. <laughs> you would have been right on that. I would have studied something completely different. Well, so so apparently they don't believe in ghosts. There are some ghost stories we're going to talk about, so don't tune out. Right. But I want to hear this, Mike. So what did Father Sebastian tell you? But they did say that, you know, it, it almost was like that modern Parisians are, are much more like Jean-Paul Sartre, Sartre where they're just atheists um, that, that think the idea of the dead coming back to life and visiting us is silly. And I heard that, I heard that on the Iceland ghost tour, too. Uh, as well, and the guy. Yes, but they believe in elves in Iceland. It's too crazy to believe in ghosts, but not too but crazy. Not elves; be- they're everywhere. Not elves, obviously. <laughs> no, but, but so that's what they said. He said, "But we were able to come up with a lot of great ghost stories um, from history, and they did have. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, 
but that's that's the thing when you think that they took over the uh, you know Notre Dame the cathedral in 1792 to make an atheist religion to make a cathedral for an atheist religion and like kick out all the priests and stuff uh, yeah the, how does that work the French do have a, a reputation you know for philosophical extremism let's say yeah and you know, the revolution obviously everybody is off with their heads and and the um the the catholic bureaucracy um had obviously well you can understand why they hated that well yeah and they obviously contributed somewhat to you'd see cardinals and bishops living like kings and you know, yeah and the corruption um you know extreme corruption uh, is the reason for the backlash and how extreme that was. So, and you see that people even talking about it on social media, um, because I'd say like eighty percent of the responses I saw to the the fire and when the when the spire fell, it really was like, oh man, that really does look like a. It even conjures up nine eleven, and that was terrorism was one of the first things I thought of when you you, mm-hmm. you saw the um, you saw the spire fall, but right. but that yeah. that was because. Somebody in uh, 2016, um, you know, they found a truck with a case of like explosives outside of Notre Dame. So they foiled a para- they foiled a terrorist attack in Paris two years ago, right. intending on starting fire to the building. And and then there was just a, if you guys watch the Jack Ryan show on Amazon Prime with Jim from the Office as Jack Ryan, you wouldn't think that Jim from the Office could be an action hero, but he's actually a fairly believable action hero. Um, and he obviously balked up, like he's uh, he's roided out. But um, they do an att- <laughs> they do an attack uh, on a cathedral in Paris, um, in the Jack Ryan. That was that was the first thing I thought of was a terrorist attack, and it looks like it's nothing like that, you know, which is good that people aren't well, trying to kill healthy. each other, right? Yeah, that's the first thing. It's good that people aren't trying to kill each other. Um, but I, so I thought eighty percent of the reaction that I saw on social media was sadness because so many people had been there. Like people were writing on Facebook, things I learned today. Um, number one, how many of my friends have been to Notre Dame? Number two, you know what they had to eat for lunch was the you know the things that people were writing on their on their updates. And so everybody was putting the picture of themselves in front of that great cathedral. And I mean. It's a great place to take pictures. Gothic architecture. I mean, there's something. It, it it looks good on film. It looks good on yeah, film. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of gothic, there are some ghost stories that we need to talk about. And so I, I was really shocked because um, one of the stories that I think that um, Father Sebastian told you because I I found a little bit of it online. And then I see Mysterious Universe has an article on it just published last night. And it talks about uh, a woman who came to visit the cathedral in 1882. Do you remember this from from the tour so long ago? Well, that was 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. And we were partying. And like I went, <laughs> like after the ghost tour, we all went out, so, for, we all went out for Chinese. And then we went to a fetish bar and it was a crazy, oh, okay. you should have seen the costumes. T- they, TMI. They know what they're doing in <laughs> okay. Paris. T- okay, Paris, TMI. <laughs> so, all right, so I'll refresh you. In 1882, there's a woman, she wants to climb one of the towers, and um, she is not allowed because she's not accompanied by anyone she's unchaperoned also she wants and, to climb one of the towers though like that's not just you don't you just let somebody climb your tower yeah well it was um 
something that that they that they did um there there are stairs up to you know uh some of the towers where, where the gargoyles are and stuff like that i have right. a picture of one of my friends taken with one of the gargoyles so i imagine that's what she wanted is just to go up those stairs but she wasn't accompanied and you know this was she's like this is like a high point of the visit and people would go do this but she wasn't allowed she was uh turned away by the guards because she was on chaperone well i wasn't allowed um, either to go up there oh all right so well, it was it, probably for different reasons it was actually it was closed <laughs> when we were there like it was at that time it was only open like one time a week and uh oh. so we couldn't get up i mean i still get some great shots of the gargoyles but we couldn't get up into the towers um just because they weren't letting people up at that time so so this unnamed young lady uh she apparently, according to local version of the tale, found an elderly woman to accompany her to the top. So I don't know why it's not okay for one woman to go, but it's okay for two women to go. I'm not really sure on that. But um, when she reached the top, she <laughs> threw herself off over the railing and was um, impaled on some spikes on the main floor. She's not really doing a lot for women. <laughs> with, like, there's a reason we don't send them up there unchaperoned. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the chaperone didn't do much to help her anyway. What was the old lady going to do? Like reach out and hold her? I don't know, but what's the point of a chaperone if you can't do anything? So it's kind of a spectacular death to imagine. And her ghost has often been witnessed near the tower's gargoyles or wandering around the top of the tower. Now... That was really a good one for me because it involves two women. And I read elsewhere that there have been two female ghosts seen uh, in the cathedral. And so then I was really, really excited to see that um, I found an article about another suicide there. Oh, yeah. Which involved another two women that happened in 1964. Jesus. Are these are we letting women up unchaperoned to the tower over and over know. again? Yeah. Why? Why are, are women drawn to commit suicide there? So this is what happened. Paris death fall also kills tourists. Uh, this oh, is from man. the Toledo Blade, October 2nd, 1964. All right, October 2nd, authorities reported that a woman jumped or fell from the Notre Dame Cathedral today and struck an American tourist passing by. Both were fatally injured, they said. Police verified the American was Veronica uh, McConnell, 21, from Pennsylvania. No further address was given. Oh, my God. You're a 21-year-old girl. You get to go to Paris for the first time. And then somebody jumps off the tower at Notre Dame and kills you. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of wondering now if this is something that I could, should continue searching, like Notre Dame suicide, and see how many we have involving two women. Well, they even because talk about these, in the Mysterious Universe article, there's two more suicides. Um, well, there's actually one suicide, and the other guy just died while playing the organ. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> like who can blame him? He just went him? out in a big way. Yeah, like his. I wonder if he like waited for like a certain chord to go. <laughs> He's like, oh man, when I hit the A, when I when I hit the A major, or whatever, it's gonna be big. I'm gonna hit the octave all the way in the top key, and I'm gonna expire. <laughs> I'm just gonna drop dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like even better than like the mic drop. That well, obviously, well that that's what um you remember Gigi Allen. He was uh, in the band called the Toilet Rockers. 
that was arrested in Milwaukee? <laughs> um, no, I don't remember okay. that. But <laughs> go ahead there, and regale Gigi me. Allen, they made a movie about him called Hated the Gigi Allen Story. Todd Phillips, who directed the Hangover movies. Um, that was his original work. Was And and, and, um, and Gigi Allen was just, he was a very, he was a, a, a rocker who wanted to be as offensive as possible. And his band was called the Toilet Rockers and the Murder Junkies. And he always said that he was going to kill himself on stage. Um, but heroin did it first. So, um, so anyway, where G, where Gigi Allen failed, this guy succeeded dying on stage at Notre Dame. Cause he's like, my career goes downhill from here. Boom. Yeah. Just last week, there was a UK comedian, a comedian who um, actually died of a fatal heart attack on stage. They thought it was part of the bit. Oh wow. yeah, like people like they were like cl- like clapping along and they were going along yeah. with it for a couple. But that'd be like uh, when Red Fox was playing Sanford and Son, whatever. Like if he actually had a heart attack, it was like, oh, here comes the big one. I'm coming for <laughs> you. Real. I'm coming for you, Elizabeth. And then he just died. He did die. He eventually did die while they were taping his show. Uh, really? It I wasn't Sanford and Son, but it was the Royal. Oh, it was something. It wasn't very good. It wasn't as good as Sanford and Son. Um, but yeah, he he died while they were shooting it. Wow. So he did. So, he he went on stage too. So this organist that died um, was um, Louis Verne, I think you say it. Um, it's probably my pronunciation is probably so wrong. You know, I um, mean, obviously the French don't care if we mispronounce uh, mispronounce their words. They're not say, sensitive I'm at all. I'm very sorry. I'm very very sorry. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it was. Yes, I deserve a thousand lashes. Um, so 1937 is when he expired. Well playing uh, the cathedral organ um and um the other suicide here's another name that's gonna be pretty hard a maria antoinetta uh rivius mercado castellanos i feel if you say that i feel if you say it in as offensive an accent as possible it Uh, makes okay maria castellanos mercado there's something like that people (laughs) people send the letters like hey he sounds like alex trebek when alex trebek asks a jeopardy question (laughs) She was a, a Mexican intellectual writer, feminist, and arts patron who was scorned by a lover in Paris and shot herself at the altar of the cathedral. Another dramatic way to go out. This I was, was going to say, these feminists aren't doing much for the cause. <laughs> he broke my heart. I'm like, I'll show him. This is an article with some you know, pretty dramatic stuff. Thank you, uh, Paul Seaburn. Um, but then there's also another story of some cursed ironwork. Um, the doors of Notre Dame have this incredibly intricate ironwork. And apparently the, um, the uh, person who, uh, the artisan, let's say, who was asked to do that got very, very frustrated. And um, another, his name was like, Biscornet, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Again, I apologize uh, for my pronunciation. Biscornet. So um, he got so frustrated that he called out in in his just utter disgust at you know trying to get this done on time, and he actually asked for the devil's help to uh, get the job done. Now, does that work? Because <laughs> well, you hear about it, all these people making a deal with the devil. Oh yeah, Robert Johnson went to the crossroads, made a deal with the devil, sold his soul. You know, other um, Paganini sold his soul so he can play so fast. Bis Cornet now, 
he sells his soul so he can finish his iron work. Look, I've been in some places where I needed help bad. And I called out to anybody. And nobody showed up like, hey, I'll help you finish this. And it's going to be awesome. All I need is your soul. I'd be like, here you go. <laughs> right. You've been ripe for the picking for years now. Yeah. So this is why I don't believe in selling their soul. on the job. Beelzebub, wake up. Right. Anyway, um, when, when the doors were unveiled, they were stuck shut, though. So this was a problem, and they tried everything. And I think, like, Father Sebastian says, they tried oil, they tried this thing and that thing. And um, they weren't able to get the doors to open. And then a priest, you know, got this idea that, hey, maybe what it requires is let's sprinkle some holy water on it. And when that happened, the doors opened. And, you know, ever since they've been known as the cursed doors, um, Paul Seaborn's report here says that um, just by sprinkling that holy water, the uh, artisan was freed from his satanic compact. Oh, I don't. I didn't know. Just we just need to get a bottle of holy water from the church. We can sell our soul every five minutes. But did you read? And the, then just douse ourselves. Did you read this though? That the name Biscornet uh, yes. sounds like a plan words. Bis uh, means oh no. Bis means two in French, and cornet, cor, you know, like like a coronet means horn. Oh, so nice. his name was two, like you know, Billy Two Horns or whatever. Uh, right. And so, it, so the it was done by the guy named Billy Two Horns, not Billy, yeah, uh, obviously, but, but that's that's like his nickname. So saying the name Bis Cornet is um, like a play on this idea that he was the devil. Yeah, but um, on the other hand, we know that the Manu Cornuda, from our good friend, um, you know, that's not a satanic symbol, right? The the um, thing that's is used by rock mus- musicians now. Oh, yeah. Ronnie James Dio, um, you know, he, well, I don't know. That's probably a bad example. I was going to say. <laughs> I was, he's pretty evil. But, um, you know. I mean, his, his, his live his album Italian is called, like, Dream Evil. What was it? His live album is called like Dream Evil. Okay. Well, I, I kind of backed myself into a corner <laughs> here. But his his Italian grandmother wasn't probably evil. You know, the 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 it's just the bull's horns. It's not supposed to be satanic horns. Right. But so it didn't say what kind of horns these were. But so but that's a it's a cool legend anyway. This idea yeah, that o- only holy wanted, holy water could open the doors. Yeah, like if you wanted a moral tale, uh I think you could pick a better one because it's like, what are you telling kids? If you're just like, oh, a little sprinkle of holy water, you'll, you'll be okay. You know, it's like, oh, put some blood on it. No, <laughs> put some holy water on it. You'll be yeah. okay. No, I, I don't buy that <laughs> part of the story. That's not a lesson for you kids. So it also says that, you know what? You can sell your soul to the devil and you just get out of it real easy. Like, I just, I don't like it um, because uh, then we'd just be selling our soul all the time. Like, I'd sell my soul every other week. And you figure, right, you figure the devil would stop offering sweet deals after a while if he keeps getting screwed out of souls. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other thing, um, so we've got these ghosts there, and we've got these cursed doors, um, but we've also got some holy relics, which I did not know about. And I think that's great. As we mentioned before, there's a piece of the true cross, but, you know, how... How authentic that is. You know, how do you tell? There's also um, supposed to be a nail from the crucifixion, that um, at least one. And the big 
the big ticket item is the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. I wonder what kind of folklore that has behind. It's got to have some. It's like, you know, because when you think of um, the um, that sphere that was used to poke his side by the Roman centurion, the, yeah. um, the sphere of, of destiny. destiny. I mean, it's it's been... It's been said that Hitler was after that for, you know, some kind of powers that it would confer to the holder. Well, what about the crown of thorns? That's got to have some hefty spiritual mojo. And thankfully, everybody, that has been saved. It's over at the Louvre. Did you see the Onion article that had Jesus rushing into the burning building and said, like, out of my way, I got to get my crown. <laughs> it was good. Like, no, it was like Jesus, like, like telling the firefighters to back off. He's like, I got to get in there. <laughs> My crown's on fire. Yeah, so you know this this practice of holding relics is a Catholic thing, and it's you know a lot of people think it's kind of weird because, um, not in this case that I know of, but in other big churches and even some smaller ones like that we have here in Milwaukee, they have relics, um, like saints' bones. Are- Pieces of the Saints, yeah. Yeah, I went over to- at Marquette University. They actually have bits of Jacques Marquette that they went to his grave and they dug up a little box of his bits and and uh, somebody did and, and sent it to Marquette University. I went to go see the body of Saint Maria Goretti when she came into Madison. Oh, was it? Oh, that's right. I I went to go see her too. Yeah, the, that's the incorruptible. Yes. I forgot all about yeah, that. Yeah, so you went to, you know, I went to, I went to go see uh, a saint come in their body. Um, and there's like a little card they give you to, to talk right. about the history and some suggested prayers you could say. I mean, this whole right. uh, this whole idea of relics, it's a very Catholic thing. Um, in fact, when, you know, one of the things um, during, uh, you know, the the fight versus the Catholics versus the Protestants in Paris that happened like in the 16th century, the Catholics versus the Huguenots. Um, and you know, when they were, you just wanted to say Huguenot. who doesn't want to say Huguenot. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Um, cause I've only read the word. I don't think I've ever actually heard someone say the word Huguenot in a conversation. Um, well, you haven't lived. Then. Well, because I don't have that many <laughs> discussions with people, um, uh, you know, about the reign of terror or whatever. Uh, even though I wish I, I wish I could, but the thing is, is that they went in. Uh, the Protestants went into Notre Dame and they destroyed some relics there. Oh, and, I didn't know that. And that was before um, actually the Crown of Thorns was at uh, Notre Dame. You see, the Crown of Thorns was was given uh, to like Louis the Ninth uh, in the 13th century, and and so Louis the Ninth built a whole place called uh, the Saint Chapelle. Um, a different church to receive it. So he built a special uh, church um, to receive the, the crown of thorns and the relic would stay there. And it stayed there for 500 years. And so uh, after the French Revolution, uh, it was in like the, the the French National Library. And then eventually they gave it back to the church because the cult of reason, um, eventually the people, they wanted their religion back. 
And so, you know, what happened after the French Revolution, eventually the, the people who did the revolution, they get killed too. It goes over and over again. There's some yeah. more of the Bourbon Kings happen. And then that all leads to the rise of Napoleon, who says he's going to make France great again and take over the entire continent. <laughs> and it works for a while. Like Napoleon, I mean, uh, those Napoleonic Wars were big. A lot of people died. There was, I mean, in France, I mean, they, they took over the pyramids. You know, yeah, that's right. Well, that's where where we got the Rosetta Stone. But yeah, like these relics, um, you know, they're such powerful items of faith for people. Like even those cards that you're talking about when we went to go see that uh, incorruptible body. Well, the idea of an incorruptible is um, this person so holy that they never decay, that that they um, remain pure. Um even when they're dead. So um, that's a body that we saw that was um, not very decayed. And they give you, they give you a card and they had, they touch the card to that body. So when you get that card, that's a third degree relic. And then, yeah, um, isn't that interesting? The different degrees of relic, there's actual body. And then that's first degree. And then there's uh, like people that have touched the body. Yeah, well, there's second degree, which I believe is something that the saint owned. And then there's third degree, which can either like touch the saint's body or touch something they owned. That's less clear. But it's still supposed to confer some holiness and grace on you. Right. And that's just such an interesting, you know, when you want to talk about pagan ideas and things like that, like the idea that, um, you know, that these incorruptible bodies... Uh, that you can touch it and then all of a sudden get some sort of favor from God. Um, right. Just because you touched it. Yeah. That to me does not, I mean, that feels like real Bronze Age religion style. <laughs> there. Yeah, that doesn't sound very fair. And speaking of pagans, um, I did not know this, but uh, in my research, I found that um, there are people that claim that Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris uh, occupies the former site of an ancient Roman temple. And uh, I have an article from the San Bernardino County Sun from December 4th, 1950, and it says a monument to Jupiter was actually excavated from beneath the cathedral in 1711. The Pillar of the Boatmen is what they called it. Oh. And so it was about five and a quarter meters high. Um. 91 centimeters wide and 70 more at the base. So, you know, having to do the whole centimeter to inches conversion, I don't know, probably six inches wide, 91 centimeters. Oh, crap. I don't know. I'm sorry, anybody <laughs> in Europe. But, hey, we got our own system here, and so it's what we got. So, But the thing is, um, they found that, and so they, they found that pillar, and it does have what looks like uh, it's a Roman column that looks like it's in honor of Jupiter by the Guild of Boatmen in the first century A.D. So obviously, uh, if you guys remember Julius Caesar, um, Julius Caesar, when he came back from France, he had conquered Gaul. And that was a big deal. That's why everybody thought Julius Caesar was the hot stuff, uh, you know, because he had conquered Gaul. He had conquered uh, the, you know, the French tribes that had lived there. And the, the Romans then were occupying France at the time. So, in you know, uh, Lutetia or Lutetia was the name of the the city uh, that the Romans that eventually became Paris, and they um, 
you know, so there definitely were religious sites that's going to be there because the Romans had led a bazillion gods. They had a god for every house. You had household gods, well, <laughs> which is very similar to the Catholic saints. This idea that, um, you know, you have, a, you have a saint that you can talk to, ask quite, you know, that you can, you can pray to pray on your beh- pray to to pray on your behalf. Yeah. Or you could just bury St. Joseph's upside down in your yard. To sell your house. <laughs> right. And people do <laughs> that's that. That's still being done today. Yeah. Yeah. People do that. I mean, that's um, that's just a tradition. And and we have these we have these ideas like, oh, yeah, the Romans, there's been a billion gods. You know what I mean? But, um, you know, we got the saints in the Catholic Church and it's, right. it's the same kind of thing. So yep. th- these wealthy boatmen or whatever, these traders and ship owners, um, they had a union. And so they made a, a pillar in honor of Zeus. And that's what was was found. Um, that was found in the site that eventually became Notre Dame. So yeah, and I've heard too, like um, Grand, Graham Hancock talk a lot about sacred places and how they're often built atop earlier sacred places, and it goes on and on like that. So this is, you know, certainly one example of you know where they had a pagan temple and now they have Notre Dame, and you know maybe it is a sacred place because. Um, in uh, October 12th, um, 1914, so during the First World War, German airplanes were circling over Paris and dropping bombs. And several German airplanes um, circled over Paris and dropped these bombs, and the shells um, did not explode, and damage um, was slight. But the official report stated that four people were killed and 20 wounded, several of them seriously. But some of the bombshells also hit Notre Dame, and again, they did not explode. So it could have been much worse if the bombs had actually exploded. As it was, you know, four people were still killed. But that bomb raid happened over Notre Dame, and so, you know, how bummed are the Germans? Why didn't those bombs work when so many others did? Right. We always hear such great things about German engineering. Right. <laughs> Not in that case. Or maybe there was some holy intercession going on. But it's sad that those four people didn't make it. Well, of course. Must have been bad seeds. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, so the thing is, um, when, you, when you take something like these holy relics, like the crown of thorns that Jesus wore, um, and they, the pieces of the flying cross there, and they probably got some saint bones and, you know, all those different things um, that they had. So what happens is, or this is what was happening before there was a fire, and we don't know how long it's going to, you know, take to replace it. But when you, when you talk about uh, something being saved, like Notre Dame was saved from the German uh, the German bombs, there also was that cross in the middle of the cathedral, like everything else burned down around it, but the cross survived. And so I bet that's going to be a famous picture now. That's going to be yeah, a absolutely. meme. Absolutely. People are still, yeah, it is memeing already. People, I've seen so many people share that picture and say the cross still stands. You know, and it, it really is a beautiful cross. Like when I was looking through my pictures from Notre Dame today, I took a lot of pictures of candles. Um, and then I took a picture of that big cross too. Um, and I wonder if um, there's a ghost photo that's out there that has a big cross in the middle. It's one of those really blurry photos, which is like so suspect, but it's got a big cross in front. And um, it was taken at Notre Dame Cathedral on a college trip. And 
um, there's there's two indistinct figures that the person um, Luke Luke is his name. The the witness says when he took the photo of the cross, um, he did not he did not see the two people standing on either side of it. And then suddenly he processed the film and he gets an entirely different image from what he had recalled photographing. There's these specter-like figures. No, I'm looking at the picture to, right to now. To each side. Uh, yeah, uh, to each side of the cross. So we'll have to include that in the show notes. But again, it's one of those um, proverbial blurry photos. Well, you know, my, uh, my picture from the cross actually at Notre Dame was blurry. Um, really? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe God was just like messing with me. He's like, hey. Um, but I'm looking at this this ghost picture, and I don't believe it's it's that same cross that people were uh, talking about. And, and well, maybe picture. not, because it's supposed to have Christ on it. Yeah. The one that I saw was just a, a gold cross, right. and this has supposed to have Christ on it. Although it's hard to see in this this picture, all you can although you can still see the the hands and a little bit of the arms. Well, you know, and, and the thing is, this is also, so the difference between a crucifix and a cross yeah. is, I mean, a cross is just a cross. A crucifix has a dead Jesus on it. Right. Or a suffering, a suffering Jesus on it. And Absolutely. You know, and th- that is an interesting picture because um, he says he doesn't remember anyone else, uh, you know, a- anyone else in the room besides him and Jesus. And then it looks like it's two people who look like they're praying and the woman looks like she's wearing uh, like a head covering, yeah. you know, so she's, you know, she looks like she's wearing a, a shroudish kind of thing. Uh, uh, right. Like the Virgin Mary. Right. Like the Virgin Mary. And the other guy looks like he's wearing, you know, he's not wearing like a t-shirt and jeans. The other guy looks like he's wearing robes, like ceremonial robes. So. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, two women are often reported, which might be from the tragedy in 1964, you know. That this uh, other specter in the picture really seems to be more of a man, although it's pretty unclear. Well, I like the idea that it's a tulpa. The, the, the tulpas that are created, like the Virgin Mary praying at the cross is a perfect thing uh, if, if you want to talk about how many millions of people have gone there and prayed every year. Um, and maybe the other one's Joseph. Right. So Joseph still, he's given her the side eye, like virgin, eh? Um <laughs> kind of thing he's like no mm. her husband and the virgin mary mourning the death of their son yes yes right there you go right so he's not That's he's not is. giving her the side eye no like he's like oh yeah an angel came to you hey um <laughs> so you know uh that that's a pretty cool ghost picture but what i like at notre dame in particular and i know a lot of other people like him are the gargoyles yeah outside they are really spectacular and you know one thing about those uh, gargoyles is, first of all, um, there's two different kinds of things. There's gargoyles versus grotesques. Yes, and uh, that's a common mistake that people make. You know, a lot of the famous so-called gargoyles are actually grotesques because grotesque is just you know an artistic addition, whereas a gargoyle actually has a function to um, to channel rainwater off the building. Yeah. That's it. So gargoyles have water spouts and they're meant to be, uh, you know, like actually it's like, a, it's like it's a rain drainage system. It's a, it's a super cool uh, rain drainage system. And 
the you know the reason that they're so grotesque that they're all like gross looking um, is they're supposed to be hybrids of imaginary creatures, supposed to be hybrids of dragons and a demon, a human and an animal. Yeah, chimeras. Yeah, they're they're supposed to be unnatural. Is the point? And right, but they're also there to protect the cathedral. They're they're there to be scarier than the demons. And I I saw you know somebody posted that that maybe. This fire happened because the gargoyles were taken away for the restoration and they weren't there to protect the cathedral anymore. But I don't know if that actually stands up to the facts because I think um, it wasn't the gargoyles that were taken away, but there were several religious statues. I think um, the Twelve Apostles and um, a couple of other ones that were removed. So um, as... As far as I know, the, the gargoyles still remain in place. But hopefully they're okay because they're made out of stone. Well, here's something cool that I hadn't heard before. Um, you know, in the 18th century, people stopped making gargoyles on buildings. And the reason they did that uh, was because when gargoyles got damaged or they were getting old, um, they'd fall off the side of the building. And, Ooh, that's and when you have like a, you know, a hundred pound stone thing falling off the side of the building, it's like the woman who threw herself from the, the tower at Notre yeah. Dame and killed the tourist. Collateral damage so, from the building. Right. So um, they stopped using them because they ended up being dangerous. But I like that. I've never heard this before. The legend of uh, Gargoye. And uh, so the legend of Gargoye, where the, where the word gargoyle comes from is that uh, Gargoye was a dragon who had bat wings, a long neck, and could breathe fire. And one version of the story is that um, a chancellor of the king subdues the dragon using a crucifix. So not a cross, has to have the dead Jesus on him, so Jesus can say the power of Christ compels you to chill out. Um, <laughs> so he subdues La Gargoya with the crucifix, and then brings the creature back uh, to the city of Ruin, and they burn it. But the head and the neck don't burn because the dragon can breathe fire. So uh, the head and the neck are oh. impervious to fire. So because they can't burn the head and the neck, they cut the head off and they put it on the church wall to scare off evil spirits and to protect the church. Right, to say, this is going to happen to you next, Bob. Right, so that's, you know, uh, that... That was a cool story about like how gargoyles came to be. And of course, you know, gargoyles are featured in, uh, did you ever see the Disney musical cartoon, The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Nah, I'm not a big cartoon person. All right. Well, actually, it's pretty good. Um, I think uh, uh, Jason Alexander from Seinfeld, um, who did he play? George, George from Seinfeld plays like one of the gargoyles and he's funny um and then the hunchback of no dramas it's a pretty good movie for a disney movie but the thing is when we were researching it you found out that the hunchback of notre dame uh, might be based on a real person right that was really a thrill to to not that not that the hunchback um like that quasimodo was um actually around in the 13th century or whatever, but that there was someone that Victor Hugo knew that inspired the character. Well, what I think is interesting here is, uh, I mean, number one, Notre Dame was not as big of a deal until this book came out. So it was kind of going into disrepair 
in the 19th century, and then The Hunchback of Notre Dame becomes a huge success in 1831, and then they start paying more attention to it, and they start renovating it. In fact, the spire that fell yesterday, that was built as a direct result of the renovations that were done to church, the church in the middle of the 1900, in the middle of the 1800s. And so... Hmm. You know, one of the reasons that it's such an architectural marvel, I mean, besides the flying buttresses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but it's fun to hear you say Yeah, a f- flying buttress is like a, um, it's like an arch that extends from a wall over a, a roof. So a flying buttress like oh. supports, uh, it's like an arch that comes from a, from a roof. Um, is it just an easy way it. to put it? I think I know. I think I know what they yeah, are. Yeah, and so N- Notre Dame is a great example of, of the the flying buttresses in architecture. But as far as the Hunchback of Notre Dame goes, so um, it becomes such a successful, such a successful book that everybody wants to visit this beautiful cathedral. And this is how it becomes the most famous cathedral in the world. Because, um, you know, Victor Hugo's novel, and then you get a very famous movie with Charles Lofton plays the Hunchback, and there's different adaptations over the years. Um, the Disney musical was just the latest one, and it just makes it really popular. And the thing is, you know, Victor Hugo, like Alexander Dumas, um, and his Musketeers books, and, and the Count of Monte Cristo, like, and Victor Hugo also wrote uh, Les Miserables. Those French books, as far as I remember growing up, they, they translate really well to English. And also, they're written in an exciting way. I mean, I don't know what it is, but you can't, it's not always all of 19th century literature. And that, I mean, I read a lot of 19th century literature in college, and not all of it's exciting. But for some reason, even, you know, 190 years later, uh, a lot of those books, um, even translated from the original French, are still exciting and really fun to read. So I can, like, The Hunchback is a, is a book that's lasted, you know, almost 200 years uh, as, a, as a popular piece of fiction, and that really made Notre Dame the most famous cathedral in the world uh, because of this book. And so then it inspires um, the French to, okay, well, you know, we got now we got a famous cathedral. We're gonna have to make this pretty sweet. So they renovate it. Um, they, they even add a bunch of the more gargoyles, or more sorry, more grotesques. Oh yeah. And so um, there's a great one, uh, Lestrade. I don't know if I'm saying it right. So I yeah. Sorry, Frenchies. I think it might be <laughs> sorry, French. Is it Lestrade? It might be Lestrade. Yeah, I'm so, not sure. Lestrade. Um, but we'll say say whichever way makes it sound cooler. Yeah. Lestrige does sound pretty cool. And a lot of the French call him a vampire. Um, but it, it's a it's a pretty famous gargoyle. Uh, he's like sitting on his, his, he's sitting, his face is sitting on his hands. He's sticking out his tongue a little bit. He's got wings and a couple of horns. Uh, he, yeah, he doesn't think much of Paris. No, he's like, look at the city of lights. His head is in his hands. Eh, eh it's okay. Uh, it's created by uh, Eugene Emmanuel uh, Violet de Le Duc, um, and he was the white guy who was responsible for the cathedral's restoration um, after the popularity of uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now we forgot to you know forgot to tell everybody where um, this real Hunchback of Notre Dame might have come from. Yeah, so I was reading um, MiamiGhostChronicles.com. As you do. Look- yeah, for some other sources as well, but they reported that in 1999, the discovery of a diary in Cornwall appears to reveal the real life 
inspiration for the character of Quasimodo. And uh, clues suggest that uh, Quasimodo is based on a historical figure that uh, may may have been somebody that Victor Hugo came into contact with. Um, it's been uh, information about this uh, person who was hunchbacked uh, was uncovered in the memoirs of Henry Sibson, a, a 19th century British sculptor who was employed at the uh, cathedral around the time the book was written. And he describes a hunchback stonemason also working there. And he describes him as the most worthy, fatherly, and amiable man has ever existed. He was the carver under the government sculptor, whose name I forget as I had no intercourse with him. All that I know is that he was humpbacked and he did not like to mix with carvers. We find out that he calls him Monsieur Le Bossu, and Le Bossu is French for the hunchback. So he basically calls him Mr. Hunchback. <laughs> Mr. Hunchy Hunch, Hunchback. <laughs> Mr. Hunchy, a nickname given to him, and I scarcely ever heard any other. The chief of the gang, for there were a number of us, Monsieur Le Bossu, was pleased to tell Monsieur Trajan that he must be sure to take the little Englishman. And, uh, you know, it's the funny thing. So. Uh, Victor Hugo starts writing The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1828. The book's published in 1831. He's interested in the restoration of the cathedral, and architecture is a major theme of the book. The gargoyles, the whole thing. The the hunchback is the bell ringer that runs around, uh, falls in love. Things don't end well. Spoiler alert. Well, well, so that that didn't happen, though. But, you know. Right. um, But there was a hunchback at Notre Dame. Yeah, that really worked there. And there are other sources for it that that I've found a whole bunch. Um, so it does really seem to be a real archive. It, this this uh, journal that was um, uncovered in the in the Tate archives seems to show that that there was somebody around that inspired the character of Quasimodo. And so the last thing we should probably talk about today is. Nostradamus, because he, I mean, Nostradamus never gets <laughs> enough press, I was, right? I was waiting. I was waiting because, you know, it's a French thing. And here we go. We've had a French tragedy. So it must be. And if you guys don't know who somewhere. Nostradamus is, no, uh, Michel <laughs> de Nostradamus, usually Latinized as Nostradamus, was a French astrologer, physician, and reputed seer who's best known for his book, uh, Les Prophecies a collection of 942 poetic quatrains allegedly predicting future events. That pronunciation, I'm so sorry. The book's first published in 1555. It's been, right, and almost 500 years later, we're still talking about Nostradamus. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, and his silly prophecies and his silly quatrains. And, you know, people are saying that he he writes this quatrain and... uh, Let's see what he says. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a bunch of things on YouTube now. Yes. Notre Dame fire. Shock. Claim. The head Nostradamus of- predicted the disaster. Did Nostradamus predict the Notre Dame fire? The head of Ares, oh, Jupiter, and Saturn. God eternal. What changes can be expected? Following a long century, evil will return. France and Italy. What emotions will you undergo? Yeah, it's kind of... Just a little bit vague. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't say anything about fire. You know, the only part that I thought was interesting was the reference to Jupiter, because as we said, uh, this uh, column, um, Exalting Jupiter, was was found there um, 
as a vestige of the former Roman temple. So that that was like the only connection, though. I mean, yeah, you're going to go through emotions for any tragedy, of course. So I'm not sure how that connects with Notre Dame other than the Jupiter thing. Well, they say there's astrological clues um, that point to 6.20 p.m. Monday 15th. April 2019, oh. like the head of Aries, Jupiter, and Saturn. Oh, I see. So those were indicating that the astrology. That it was April 15th. Um, you know, so Nostradamus, you know, it's one of those things where people always say like, okay, well, uh, like right now it says that uh, according to the horoscope, the astrological chart, um, the... Oh man, I can't read astrological charts, but I do know that <laughs> it's Aries. That's okay, Mike. Aries, Jupiter, and Saturn. Um, Jupiter is in the house of religion or whatever. Saturn is in pop, um, Capricorn, which is like the house of monuments and tradition. Uh, and uh, Aries the fi- is the sign of fire. Oh, I see. So she's taking all these clues and putting it into context of astrology. Yeah. And that's where she gets her ideas about it well and people are saying that it's e- not a, evil has returned to us yeah i don't it, i mean there's I don't evil everywhere all the time so um for me british astrologer jessica Adam, adams i don't know it's just not a slam dunk i need more yeah oh yeah it's just not a slam dunk yeah <laughs> yeah i'm feeling you there allison yeah, I, I gotta say, I'm feeling there vague. that this is this is not a slam dunk, um, but it is an interesting perspective. Like I, I would not take that out of that particular quatrain, but I am not a Nostradamus expert. Um, well, and it's a good way to end the show because you know we we've had ghosts, we have the devil, we have Quasimodo, um, relics, uh, paganism, all this great stuff, and of course. No. When you're dealing with the French, you got to talk about Nostradamus. You absolutely do. But the good news is, first of all, nobody died, right? Yes, so this was not even as horrible as what happened when the German bombs fell on Notre Dame in you know the uh, the First World War. So nobody died. Right. It just was very sad, and the spire fell. Um, but most of the relics were saved. The crown of thorns is saved, so we can still uh, you can go to Notre Dame and try it on. They let you wear the. <laughs> They let you wear the crown of thorns. You just have to make like a certain... take a selfie with the crown of thorns. A certain dispensation of the church, you have to give away a little bit of money, and then they give you a crown of thorns. It's really something great. Uh, Anyway, so all that stuff is saved. Nobody died. It is sad that we did lose some beautiful architecture on the inside, but like I said, it's still probably not as bad as what they did during the French Revolution or when the Huguenots came there and started busting up the place because they didn't like the idea of relics. They found that too pagan. Um, you know, they found that too non-Christian, this idea of praying to things like the crown of thorns. Um, right. And so that that's where they were cool with that. So, yeah, uh, but just like the terrorists wouldn't be cool with it these days. Right. Exactly. Um, but hey, hopefully, as we said, seems right now that they're leaning towards, you know, accidental causes. So, you know, like you said, no one got killed. Um, a lot of things like the rose window uh, was saved. Oh, hey. Hey, I got to say this. Um, if you haven't watched the OA yet, the rose window plays prominently in it. Ooh, so fantastic. it's kind of a, 
I've, I've been having some synchronicities regarding that oh. the second season there. So so do check that out because um, the rose window's in it. Awesome. No, I, I was just looking at my picture of the rose window today. And I'll put I'll put some of those pictures in the show notes. You'll see on the other side, podcast.com slash 144. And uh, thanks for joining us today, Allison. It was a lot of fun talking to you. Yeah, I love you, bro. Love you too. So the song for this week, actually, uh, we decided to take probably um, one of our sadder Sunspot songs this week. So we were talking about something that made a lot of people sad yesterday. Uh, everybody was feeling very introspective. They were putting up pictures of themselves in front of the great cathedral. Um, and people were just saying, you know, what a tragedy. And so we thought, oh, this song might uh, fit pretty well. And so uh, here's a song about feeling defeated.
Of course, I can't say goodbye without saying thank you to the See You on the Other Side Patreon community. Your support makes all the songs and the videos and the podcasts and everything possible. Thank you very much for being part of that community. I got to give a shout out to my man, Dr. Ned. Ned. We love you, Dr. Ned. Yes. You uh, are on the level of the Patreon where you get a shout out in every single episode. So thank you for being an executive producer on See You on the Other Side. We appreciate the support. And all you guys, we appreciate your support. Now, If any of you out there are not members of the Patreon community yet, first of all, what the hell is wrong with you? Second of all, (laughs) it's really easy to join up. Just check out OtherSidePodcast.com slash donate. We want to talk to you uh, in our Facebook community. We'd love to hang out um, once a month during our Google Hangouts. Or Actually, we now removed to Skype because Google Hangouts going the way of the dodo, uh, like Google Wave and all those kind of things in the past. And... We're going to have some more surprises for our Patreon community in 2019 as the community develops. And the more Patreons we have, the more cool stuff we can do. So, um, yeah, we just, we'd just like to get to know you. And the Patreon community is a great way. You can see that at OtherSidePodcast.com slash donate. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at OtherSidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.